Hey everybody, James Shepard here with the Merchant Sales Podcast. My co-host Patty Murphy is not with me today, but we have a really interesting interview with James Huber, who's an attorney, and we're talking about the Credit Card Competition Act 2022, um, and we're going to dive into all the details there. So we're going to have a very different episode today because that's a, it's a little bit of a longer interview because it's frankly a very complicated and very important topic. But I, I, I told uh, my friend there that I said, hey, at the end of the interview, I said, hey, I'm going to do a little intro for this. And I want to start off today by giving you a little primer on how the credit card processing industry works. So if you're a longtime veteran and you want to skip ahead a little bit, go for it. But if you just want to understand some of the basics, I'm just going to take a couple of minutes. I promise it won't take long, but I realize that when we get into this, this rather complicated conversation about the Credit Card Competition Act and the results of it, uh, it it'd be you know easy for us to just dive into that. And some of our listeners would have really no idea what we're talking about. So I'm going to answer a couple of key questions. Then we're going to dive right into our interview with James Huber. Okay. So number one, what is interchange and what is the role of Visa and MasterCard in the interchange? So um, when we talk about the cost for the merchant, so we go out, we sell a, a pizza shop, they do $10,000 a month in credit card processing volume, and there is a cost to process those transactions. Now, I'm not in this case talking about the cost to the merchant. You might have the merchant on flat rate pricing at three and a half percent. You might have the merchant on interchange plus pricing or tiered pricing. So I'm not talking about the fees the merchant pays. I'm talking about the underlying cost of being able to process those transactions. So just like any other business in the payments industry, we have cost. We price above our cost to generate a profit. So for that pizza shop that has you know ten thousand in processing volume, they're probably going to be running somewhere around one point eight to two percent of that volume of that card processing volume, they're going to be running as interchange cost. Okay. What is interchange cost? Well, interchange is a cost that is determined by a very, very complicated document. You could go download for free online if you look up the Visa interchange table and just download and take a look at it. But there are several criteria based on the type of card. Is it a platinum rewards money back card, you know? Uh, is it a regulated debit card? Um, depending on the type of card, there's going to be a different interchange rate. Also, depending on the type of business, was the card swiped at a grocery store or a gas station or a, uh, a restaurant? Um, depending on the type of business, there's a different interchange cost uh, for running that transaction. Thirdly, and the, the other primary one would be the method of entry. So was this an e-commerce transaction where it was online? Was it keyed in on a virtual terminal? Uh, was it was it um, inserted, you know, have a, a swipe or insert of the card at, at the physical location? What was the method of entry? So when you look at those three variables, those are used to create the interchange cost. And that's how interchange is calculated. Now, the question is, who sets interchange and who collects interchange? Well, the interchange is actually paid to or collected by the issuing bank, the bank that issues the card, uh, whoever issued that card, they are the ones who get to keep that interchange uh, revenue. But the interchange is actually set by the card brands, Visa and MasterCard. Now, obviously, there's going to be some collaboration there. Some would even say collusion between the card brands and the banks, the issuing banks to set the interchange rates. Um, however, those interchange rates are set. Now, in America, uh, we have really not had very much activity in terms of regulating interchange. We'll talk, we talked last week about the Durban Amendment, which regulated the interchange on specifically on debit cards from big banks. But other than that, as far as credit card transactions, there's been no regulation. 
And this is very different from the rest of the world. When you look at Europe, when you look at um, even Canada has uh, some, uh, I wouldn't say really stringent regulation, um, but they do regulate it. Um, when you look at the EU, when you look at France, Germany, you know, uh, when you look at Australia, you're going to see that the interchange cost in those countries is going to be significantly lower. I'm not talking about 10% lower. I'm talking about 70% lower, 80% lower in a lot of cases than it is here in the U.S. Why? Because the government has regulated the cost of interchange in those countries. So I'm not advocating for or against that right now. We're going to get into that in the podcast. I'm just letting you know the reality of the market. That's how it works. So that's the interchange and that's the bulk of the cost. Now, how does Visa and MasterCard, how do they make money? Well, they have a totally separate set of fees that they charge in order to have access to their network. So think of Visa and MasterCard. They are these network providers and you say, well, what are they networking together? Well, what they're networking together is the issuing bank and the acquiring bank. And for those of you that are really experts, bear with me. I realize I'm oversimplifying this significantly, but Visa and MasterCard, you know, somebody has to tie these things together. So when I go to use my, my credit card and I fly to LA on a business trip and I use my card at a restaurant there, how does my bank that issued me my card back in Pennsylvania, how are they going to know that I'm trying to use my card? How are they going to communicate with a restaurant to say, James has enough money that he can use his card, right? It's, it's approved. How are they going to get the money from the bank in Pennsylvania to the merchant's bank in Los Angeles, right? So the issuing bank is the one who issues the card. The acquiring bank is the bank for the merchant. So they handle moving the money to the merchant's account to make sure the merchant has money. So we have the consumer's bank and we have the merchant's bank, or we have the buyer and the seller, and we have to tie them together somehow. Well, Enter Visa and MasterCard. That's what they do. They allow through their network and their incredible security, and they do a lot of amazing things, but they enable that point of sale system or credit card machine or e-commerce gateway or whatever it is, a swiper on the phone. They enable that at the point of sale, they enable this transaction to be able to securely be routed to say, okay, we see this card. And Visa says, okay, we know based on the first few digits of the card number, we know the BIN or the bank identification number. So we're going to go ask the bank through our automated network and say, hey, James is trying to spend $100 in Los Angeles. So Visa reaches out to my bank in Pennsylvania that issues the card and says, does James have $100 of available credit? And my bank says, yes, he does. Then Visa says, okay. So then they say, hold that money to the issuing bank, and they issue a visa authorization code to uh, the acquiring bank and, and to the processor and say, hey, all right, this is an approved transaction. Here's your authorization code, right? Then at the end of the day, uh, the processor, you know, the acquiring bank is going to have to settle the transactions. They're going to say, okay, here's all the transactions with the authorization codes. We're going to send the ones to the, we're going to route them to the appropriate issuing bank. So the issuing bank can then send the money less the interchange fees. They can send that money uh, to the acquiring bank. And so I wanted you to just have a really, really high level view. That is how the industry currently works. Okay. Again, I'm not making any sides of how it should work or changes that should be made or not made, but I just want to give you a broad you know, understanding of this idea that Visa and MasterCard, as well as Discover and American Express to a much lesser extent, which I won't get into here, but Visa and MasterCard are these primary, they have about 83% of all the credit card transactions run through Visa or MasterCard, and their network is what ties this all together and makes it all work. And so it's the part of the industry that we kind of take for granted that it's going to work, and that's what they do. So that's your kind of 101 on the industry, okay? 
Now that you understand the kind of just basics of like, this is interchange, this is what the card brands do, this is the issuing bank, this is the acquiring bank. Um, now that you understand that piece of it, now let's dive into the interview with James Huber and let's talk about this latest attempt by Dick Durbin, who is the author of the Durbin Amendment that we discussed last week. If you didn't listen to last week's episode, you probably want to go listen to that first before you listen to this one. It kind of, kind of, it's like a running start, okay? Then Dick Durbin now is trying to regulate credit cards and he wants to do it in a way that honestly, I never imagined. I, I, I saw this coming a mile away that there would be regulation. I talked about it in uh, like a year ago, but I thought that they would try to regulate it the way everybody else has, which is with price fixing and saying, okay, the maximum you can do on a credit card is X, you know, that you can't go any higher than, than X. But instead, they have introduced this very unique bill. It's very controversial. Um, even in my own head, I go back and forth on it on how terrible is it? Uh, could it be good? What, you know, it's, it's really an interesting thing. So we're going to talk to an actual attorney about this who's read the, the regulation, read the, you know, the law that's being presented, not the regulation, the law that's being presented, the, the amendment. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today. So let's go ahead and transition over to our interview with James Huber. Before we do that, don't forget, this episode is brought to you by none other than NMI, NMI.com. You got to check them out. They are a fantastic gateway solution. I actually just did a, a really interesting merchant sales insight that came out. Uh, you're listening to this on Friday. It came out three days ago on Wednesday. So make sure you watch that one talking about the transformation of the ISO to more of a tech-centric organization and the role that NMI can play in that. But if you want to learn more about having a great technology partner to navigate these changing, crazy times in our industry, go to NMI.com and check it out. They are the proud sponsor of the Merchant Sales Podcast. And with that, Let's start talking to James Huber in our interview today. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey everybody, James Shepard here with my good friend, James Huber. How are you doing today, James? I'm doing well. Thanks, James. Awesome. So we are going to talk today about one of the hottest stories in payments, which is the Credit Card Competition Act that's gone through various iterations. Uh, we're going to talk about the regulation, what it would mean for our industry before we do that, though, um, for those that maybe haven't, I know you've been on our podcast many times, but for those that haven't listened before, tell us who you are and kind of what you do a little bit as far as uh, understanding what your role is in the industry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my law firm, Global Legal Law Firm, has been operating the payment space pretty much exclusively for about the last 15 years now. And we started representing sales agents, and now you know we represent some of the processors and banks and various uh, other entities. Uh, but our our niche is still helping out sales agents with their agreements and hopefully avoiding litigation. But when it happens, we're we're the guy to go to. Also, sure, sure. So we're going to dive in today to this Credit Card Competition Act, um, which again, it's gone through different iterations, which we'll talk about um, as you know, a standalone and then as an amendment. Um, before we do that, last week, we talked to Elena Smith about the um, Durbin Amendment and kind of that leading to what Dick Durbin is now presenting as this new one. So, so I'm curious to get your thoughts on the Durbin Amendment. We got about 10 years on it. How did it impact the industry? Anything about it that you thought was going to go differently? Just kind of curious to hear your insights on the Durbin Amendment itself. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty controversial. Like we're we're ten years in, people want to repeal it. You know, some people hate it, but you know, the big major retailers they love it. You know, the big ticket items it really helped them. Um, where it hurt, you know, is little coffee shops. You know, a two dollar cup of coffee 
when you could get a $2 cup of coffee back in 2010 had a 10% fee on it. Um, you know, it's also touted with killing rewards programs on debit cards. I don't know if everyone remembers. You used to get, you know, tons of rewards on debit cards. Right. Um, but it was effective that it created a lot of opportunities in the space. You know, Elena discussed how a bunch of fintechs popped up. And, you know, one of the things that I love, it's all the rage right now is discounting. I mean, discounting was born, I mean, it was called the debit discount program uh-huh. originally. And that was born out of this to, you know, pass along that debit fee. And people, people did not like discounting in the beginning. You know, when you're buying right. you know, that $2 cup of coffee and now it costs $2.25, you're actually going, well, wait a minute. Right. Um, now it's all the rage. And, you know, it's one of the reasons I get excited about this legislation. Any change in our industry creates opportunities. And everybody yep. that listens to your podcast, they're listening to it to look for these changes because they have their head on a swivel. They're going to see an opportunity and they're going to jump in. And this is going to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's, let's start with a high level view. So what is the credit card competition act? What is it, you know, what's, what's at a high level, what is it trying to accomplish in our industry? High level, this is trying to, I mean, I can back up, you know, Durbin, he's got it out for Visa and MasterCard and rightly so, you know, this is, you know, the Hill doing a monopoly buster here trying to do it through legislation. So, I mean, Visa and MasterCard, they are too big. You know, in this industry, we every single thing touches them almost. So I think he's, I think he's coming straight at Visa and MasterCard and the legislation, we were talking about this before the podcast. I mean, it says, it doesn't say Visa and MasterCard, but it, yeah. the definition, you know, we got confused on the definition of this. Does it apply to the bank? No, it is Visa and MasterCard. I'm right. coming for you. Yeah. So this proposed legislation says that you've got to have more than one network and it can't be Visa or MasterCard. So you have to have Visa and Star, Pulse, Interlink, or one of the other ones, or all the other ones that pop up, um, or MasterCard or a fallback. Yeah. Now, what do you think, Durbin? I mean, obviously, we know he's trying to accomplish, like you mentioned, kind of breaking up this duopoly, right? We'll call it. So trying to break mm-hmm. this up. Um, are there other objectives that you think he's trying to accomplish? Are there other things? Do you think he like, you know, what's what's the the motivation behind this? Is it just about breaking up Visa MasterCard? Or do you think there's other motivating factors for him? Well, look, it's hard to know who's pulling the strings for these guys. I think for Durbin, he's straight going at Visa and MasterCard, but you know, his justification, well, one of his justifications was this is going to help veterans because they're, um, you know, processing cards. So he tried to tack it on to the defense spending bill, which is a must pass bill that has to pass every year. So he tried to put it on there, but with 900 other amendments tried to do that too. Um, but, you know, he's, you know, he's saying the proponents are saying that this is going to help retailers and it's going to pass along those fees to consumer. Now, they said that about Durbin, too, and that's not what happened. But, right. you know, the proponents are saying that the average swipe fee is seven to ten times higher than it is in Europe and China. So, which is true. Let's get, 
which is true. So let's get that down and right. retailers can lower their price. But, you know, look, over the last two years, we all learned retailers needed a break. So if it only goes to the retailers, to the small businesses, great. That's good for everybody too. Right. And I, and I think the big debate is, would it make it to them? Right. So like, you know, is Square going to lower their rate because their interchange cost goes down? Maybe. Well, maybe, maybe that competition would trickle down. Right. And so like we saw that with Durban, you know, there was like the Durban Amendment. There was like, uh, you probably remember there was probably this like four or five month windfall profit where like everybody that had flat rate tiered pricing was like, great. We love the Durban. Amendment. Let's leave it alone. We love it. They made yeah, extra 40 basis points, you know, but then, you know, it did, it did come down. I remember, I remember really vividly, like probably four or five months after Durban amendment, a lot of companies started rolling out four tier pricing. It used to always be three tier qualified, mid-qualified, non-qualified. And then it was like qualified debit versus qualified credit. And there was this difference. Right. And that right. was their, that was their way to be competitive and beat the competition. And so maybe that competitiveness, uh, you know, that competitive nature would, would trickle down. In, in some way. I don't know if you see that happening, but that I thought about that as well. Yeah. I mean, my, my thought on that is, you know, but well, right before like all the POS technology came along and, you know, there were more opportunities in the space to sell to merchants. All I heard was this is a race to zero mm-hmm. profit of pricing accounts. We're just going out and you know, look, all we've been selling for years is fees. And then technology came along and you're going, oh, I'm selling technology. And then, you know, the squares come along, you go, well, I'm going to sell customer service and technology or technology. Um, but, you know, as far as those rates making it, I think they could. I mean, you've got an opportunity here to go into a mom and pop shop and say, I can give you one and a half percent processing using this. So, you know, arguably it could be the get a wild wild west again yeah it's, it's it's interesting that the you know this amendment you know if it was to pass really would create so much uncertainty and, and i think and you know my issue with it because i i agree with you that and i've said it many many times that visa and mastercard do have a bit of a stranglehold on the industry and it's you know i'm it's not that i'm against any any way that, you know, we could make the industry more competitive. I'm you know, a free market capitalist. I love competition. I do think companies can get so large. They have a little too much control. My issue with it has been the practicality. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm really struggling to visualize how on earth this will work. Like, you know what I'm saying? That that's my, I guess, I guess my two issues with it. One is that. And the other issue is do we need more competition? It's like, well, yes, Visa and MasterCard, I think it was like, what, 83% of all credit card transactions are are Visa and MasterCard. But, you know, it's like we're just looking at credit cards. What about P2P, Venmo, Zelle, ACH, crypto? So there are a lot of external factors as well that I think are providing that. So I don't know. I guess my what I was curious to hear your thoughts on would be when you look at this thing and you and you read through it, you know, is there anything that popped out to you and you're kind of like, I don't know, this is great. Or like, how would this work? Or I don't know, just kind of curious your thoughts on the practicality of this thing of like, if it pass, even if it passes, like, is this even possible? Like, I don't know. I was a little, that was my main concern. 
Yeah, I mean that that's a big one. One one is it possible to get this thing to pass? Right. To get people to vote on it. I mean, in the definitions, and you know, I got confused reading this. It calls out the issuing bank, and one of the reasons I thought that maybe it it died as a standalone bill was you're going to regulate the banks. What are you talking about? You stay away. You know, because right. we can't, we know, we all know we can't touch the banks. They're, you know, holding everything together with, you know, the big facade that they actually have your money. So, you know, right. I, I think some people don't totally understand the bank does not have your money. The bank has maybe 10% of your money that's right. in there. And then they go loan it and loan it and loan it. Um, which as an aside, I always laugh when people are like, crypto is a Ponzi scheme. And I'm like, the banks are the biggest Ponzi scheme. Right. So Right. When you have legislation calling out, I'm going to go regulate something about the banks, I can right. see everybody sitting back and going, whoa. Yeah. And then the other reason I think that, you know, what stuck out to me also is this is confusing stuff. You're going to regulate Visa and MasterCard. I think a lot of people go, they have no idea what they do. Right. So getting these, you know, legislatures who have a lot on their plate, they're reading all these bills or getting them read to them, they don't understand. So if you and I have been doing this for years, we're reading this thing and going, how is this going to work? <laughs> right. How's it going to work? Yeah. How are you guys going to put this together? And how are you going to box in Visa and MasterCard who are making the world go round to actually not figure out loopholes to this. And we were right. chuckling beforehand at how they really tried to box them in saying, you know, there's no way around this. Right. They're it's like, how, how much do you want to bet they're going to find a way around it, right? <laughs> how much do you want to bet they're going to find a way around it or they're going to, you know, it's not going to hit their margin. I mean, they're saying it's going to cost them, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars. Unlikely. I feel I'm going to figure out a way to keep that margin up. Well, well I'll tell you, the, the, the two things about it that struck me as kind of hilarious in a way, just for the lack of understanding, you know, uh, one was just the definition of a network. It's it's kind of hilarious to me that, you know, when I read it, I just read it again this morning, and it's like, we're going to originate a transaction on one network, and you're going to have to be able to send it through a different network. And it's like, that it, that fundamentally disagrees with the concept of a network. A network mm -hmm. connects two points. You can't start it at one point and say we're gonna like that. What does that even mean? So that that was funny to me. And the other one that I thought was really interesting, um, almost comical, was they they said in there that these these you know defined entities, which we know are Visa and Mastercard, they can't restrict anybody, including acquirers, processors, you know, banks, the whole thing. They can't restrict anybody from using different networks for a card transaction even if that transaction is tokenized. Well, if you understand tokenization at all, the idea of tokenization is you have these two points in a network and they both have the same encryption key. And the whole reason it's secure in the first place is that they're the only two that have the encryption key. So, you know, it just, it, it's, it's like they're trying to change the fundamental nature of not only the card, uh, the, the card, you know, processing, but also the fundamental definition of security. Like, right. yeah. you know, this is going to open up very interesting security implications, I would imagine. So I don't know if you had any thoughts on that of kind of just the, you know, again, more of the practicality of it, but that was kind of my, my thought of reading through it was like, man, this is going to be interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, that was one of the big things that stu stuck out. I mean, look, we have, you know, verified, you know, existing networks that could, <clears throat> excuse me, come in and fill this void, but other ones are going to pop up and we're going, you know, competition is good, but yeah, security. Right. Visa and MasterCard, I believe, have it pretty dialed at this point. You know, we all know nothing's secure. If somebody wants right. to get in, they'll get in. Right. Um, but I've got to imagine, you know, they've got this pretty dialed. And when you have other people coming in and they actually have to, like you said, tee into this network, right. What, right there, you know, this happens in crypto all the time when they do the forking of the network. And mm. every single time it happens, $500 million goes missing. Right. So what happens when they are rewriting the systems. Right. I mean, that, that's a you you hit it on the head of the, the part where people should be scratching their heads. But I guarantee the people that are voting on this won't understand yeah. what you you just said right there. And they're going, yeah, you know, good. Okay, look, let's look at this side. They're saying, you know, this will hurt poorer communities, and this side is saying this will help major retailers, which is you know also good. Right. Um, they won't get into that piece. So no, yeah, won't. there's going to be some tinkering needed here. But at the same time, you've got really smart payments companies. I think yeah. they would figure it out. Yeah, you're probably right. To do. Yeah, if, there, if there's money at stake, which there would be in this case, massive money at stake. Massive money you know. at stake. And look at these crypto companies coming up. You know, these are you know very wealthy companies, but they're doing it. Yeah. And, and you know, it's interesting too. I mean, it has taken what, 10, almost 11 years, but you know, we, they are finally starting to figure out what this means for debit from the Durban amendment that regulated that, Hey, you got it. You know what I mean? Like literally yeah. it was like a, uh, I think a month ago that the, um, you know, it finally came out with a ruling and like, okay, here's what you have to do by July of 2023, you know? And so, yeah, they're figuring it out. I mean, it takes a long time, I think for the regulators, I think, I, th I think the timeline, if it did pass, I think the timeline, the one to three years, they kind of said like within one year, this has to happen. And then kind of within three years, these other, I mean, I think that's going to be more like five and 10 years, you know? Um, yeah. That, that was my thought. I mean, I'd be really, really surprised if they were able to get any kind of momentum whatsoever, because the other thing I thought of is, is this, you know, is it just me or in order for any company to compete and be innovative here? they are going to have to connect into directly into Visa MasterCard's network. Like if the transactions are originating there, so Visa and MasterCard are going to have to give access. So this is kind of in a way this regulation is saying Visa and MasterCard, you're going to have to allow other private companies to gain access to your encrypted data so that they can reroute your transaction to their network. Well, I would imagine that Visa and MasterCard are going to put up quite the fight legally and everything else to doing so because, right? Like they're going to say, well, how do we know if it's secure? We, you know, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's a lot of, there's a lot of stall tactics, I guess I would say for Visa and MasterCard there. I don't know your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, a hundred percent because what, you know, if we back up, where's the regulation in this space? It's the card brand rules. And specifically, it's Visa and MasterCard's card brand rules. Right. I don't go look at American Express's card brand rules all that often. Right. Um, right. I look at Visa and MasterCard. 
So they have all of these rules that will prohibit this because it's going to run into data security. And I'm sure, you know, whoever's plugging into this will be PCI and everything like that. But yeah, they're, I mean, that's the nightmare part of this where you're going, huh, no, this actually won't work. But I could see Durbin going, exactly. I'm going to ruffle your guys' feathers. Right. I am fighting for you. Because you remember, um, I can't remember when, but it was some point during COVID when they said, you know, they're getting ready to raise their rates. And Durbin raised his eyebrow. Never mind. Never mind. Right. Right. You know, he's got an axe to grind with Visa and MasterCard. And that's, you know, what we don't really know why. There could be any number of reasons why with these guys. You know, I don't want to throw mud, but it could be, you know, he's got shares in Pulse Network or something like that. You know, who knows? Um, I would imagine if he, I would imagine if he had shares in Pulse or something, probably he would go to jail, right? If, right? If he, if he. No, these guys are allowed to inside trade. So. You know, that, that's my thing is, you know, look, he seems like he's, you know, a pretty altruistic public servant, but why, why so hard at Visa and MasterCard? Is it just because he understands? Because yeah, if I get elected to, um, you know, some office where I'm making laws like this, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of things that I would want to change. There's a bunch of things that we would all want to change. You know, how about we put regulations on processors, you know, charging early termination fees and things like that. So yeah, I, I, I would like to know, you know, maybe we'll get him on the next podcast of, you know, what's your angle? Why Visa? Why MasterCard? And why do you, you know, gun in for them so hard? Yeah. All right. So, so, as we kind of wrap this up here, let's let's assume we have a, a crystal ball and let's assume that this thing does pass. So I think, you know, again, I think the it, not only does it pass, but it passes and somehow we figure out how to implement it. So that those are really the big <laughs> questions. But yeah. let, let's let's assume for a second that it passed and we figured out how to deal with it. So we now have this new ecosystem of unaffiliated networks. So a couple of questions for you there. Number one, and we, we touched on it already. I mean, do you have any thoughts on who this unaffiliated network would be? Do you see it as more of these the upstart companies that would come in and figure this out? Or do you see it as like Discover or American Express or like the debit networks or any thoughts on kind of like where where it would go if it actually passed and somehow the technology side was figured out? I mean, who's this this unaffiliated network or who's that going to be? Yeah, you know, I'd love to see the startups coming in um, because they will innovate the way that, you know, the system operates and maybe, you know, who knows, they, they could blow these guys out of the water. What if, what if I really am paying 1% and still getting rewards because it's, you know, a bunch of VC money, you know, we've seen the, I had a bunch of clients, you know, develop virtual or, you know, virtual wallets for their debit card where, you know, you've got your debit card on your phone or, you know, they can give you a real debit card that's still cranking out rewards, you know, using these smaller banks after Durbin. So I see, you know, yeah, the existing networks coming in, you know, the debit networks and all that, because they've got the rails set up, they know what they're doing, um, and they're there. But yeah, I'd love to see new companies coming in. Um, and we've seen it with crypto. It's not 
all that difficult for these companies to do if, you know, I'll open up my Coinbase and there's a gajillion different coins you can buy and whether or not those, you know, all operate. I know that at least a couple hundred of them do operate, you know, where they have rails and they're exchanging information right. and money and things like that. So yeah, it's not, I don't think it's as hard. You know, the, the people talking about this are saying, yeah, there's existing people out there that are doing this now. And yeah, let's see what, you know, who pops up. So the issue is, look, we're after Visa and MasterCard because we don't like what they're doing. And they, you know, they get to call the shots. What if the new guys come in and they're worse? What if they're, you know, hiking rates or charging phantom fees? You know, yeah. there's there's not a lot of oversight here. Like I said, we have the card brand rules. Right. But I've been in court in front of judges, federal judges, state judges all over the country. And I'll, you know, hold up the card brand rules and be like, Your Honor, they're violating the card brand rules. Are those laws? Well, no, Your Honor, but it's all we got, you know. So right. if if they're not if the, those are now weakened even more, my job just got a lot, a lot harder. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I actually hadn't even thought about that. That idea that we have this, you know, in our industry, we have these kind of de facto laws. Um, yeah. but they're not laws. And you know, and all of a sudden, if Visa and MasterCard lose control, that also, you know, and, 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 and I'll tell you, it's interesting you bring this up. This is kind of my other concern, frankly, which is a bit of a slippery slope. So what, what would happen there, right? So <clears throat> if we have these other networks coming in, Visa and MasterCard lose their grip a bit, and all of a sudden we do have this wild, wild west where the, the car brand rules don't seem to apply as much anymore, what happens next? Well, now we have further regulation. Now the government needs to step in and say, whoa, hold on. We need to regulate pricing. Well, now we're the mortgage industry <clears throat> where at right. all I have tons and tons of friends that 10 years ago were had a great business in the mortgage broker industry. Almost all of them have left. There's no money to make there anymore. It's all regulated now, right? And so was it good? Well, yeah, there were a lot of bad players there that were taking advantage of people and now they're not. That's good. But there were also a ton of, you know, people that were doing a good job, but now through the regulation, it's like, well, now that's over um, for the most part. And so that's my other concern, I guess, is kind of like everything about this bill to me feels a little bit like a slippery slope. And I mean, I think it would take a decade to, to you know, go down the hill that far. But I mean, it's like, at what point is it like, well, okay, we implemented all this. Interchange rates went down, but Square is still charging what they're charging, you know, Levon and Tesis and FIS and Pfizer were all charging kind of what they were anyway. So we ended up putting a ton of money in the, in the pockets of Walmart, Amazon, Target, and in all the big processors. And that was the, that was the net effect. If that becomes the net effect of this legislation, I feel pretty certain that uh, Mr. Durbin is going to be setting his sights on the ISO world, the processor, the acquirer world very quickly to say, Whoa, hold on. This didn't even get to the people I wanted it to go to. It's time to, you know what I mean? I don't know what your thoughts on that. That's kind of that's one of my kind of concerns slash, I guess, observations. You know, maybe it should happen. I don't know, but it's it's uh, that's a concern. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I, I fell in love with this industry because you know it was wild. I joked a little. I have a you know a joke when I'm interviewing attorneys to come to our office. You know, I was like, when we first got in the industry. A bunch of our clients, I think they watched the first three quarters of Wolf of Wall Street and then got bored. So they didn't see how it ended. 
you know, it was right. fun. You know, it's, you know, th this industry creates an opportunity for you to create a lifestyle where you get to do what you want to do. You can make a ton of money. It's recurring. You know, you can hire all your friends and family and childhood friends and everybody, you know, and overpay them because of the opportunities here. Regulation can tamp that down, but at the same time, we have no regulation in this space. Right. Like I said, when I'm in court and I'm going, they are breaking every single rule there is. And I'm like, are they violating any laws? And I'm like, pretty much. Which ones, you know? <laughs> it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have know where the walls were. Mm. You know, with regulation, and I'm not talking about this one. You know, this doesn't. Right. You know, this I, think, I think right. that I think this will affect oh, yeah. the ISO space. You know, one, I'm going. I think you can. You'll be able to run into stores and offer way lower rates, hopefully. Um, but having some guidance on where we should operate. I mean, maybe this is me. You know, as my you know trying to convince judges that things need to happen. Hat going on um, works, but. At the same time, it also does kind of self-govern a little bit. You know, you have a lot of competition. You know, you have a lot of people watch your podcast and, you know, it kind of root wolf mentality. You know, you, you figure out what the rule, the operating rules are. And, you know, the bad players most of the time get washed out unless they get too big. Right. Right. Well, and it's like I said last week, you know, um, short term. You know, I talked to a lot of the, the uh, ISO execs and 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 things like that, and it's like, oh, this would just ruin us. And I'm like, well, actually, you would make a fortune off of it, <laughs> like initially, right? The, so, so to me, the, to me, there's only two concerns, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts. This will be our last question because I, we, you know, we could talk about this for another hour. But so, my last question is, the two risks that I see for the ISO agent acquirer world right now. And then I want to hear your thoughts on these two. And maybe you have some others. The two things that they should be concerned about would be number one is the security and the dependability of the ecosystem. That's my number one concern initially would be if this passes, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you know, we had the big Clover outage and then we've had other, you know, networks are going to have outages. Right. But it's been a long, I don't even remember the last time that the Visa or MasterCard network went down where you couldn't run a Visa transaction. I predict that that will happen. Like we are going to like upset the foundational like infrastructure of what we've all just taken for granted for the last decades, right? That like, oh, well, when you run a Visa transaction, you get an authorization code back. Like that just works. Well, that might break. Like, that's a concern because all of a sudden now we're tinkering with this core stuff. So that, that is the, the initial concern I have is just the practicality of making this work. And if the, if the government is going to regulate and say, okay, Visa MasterCard, you have to let these other companies tinker with what you built. Well, that's, yeah. scary. I don't know. Your yeah, I th yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's very scary. And I think it goes back to what you brought up earlier is, you know, Visa and MasterCard, let's say somebody needs to plug in and they go, oh, ow, you know, and they're, you know, doing <laughs> FIFA and they're rolling around on the ground saying, you know, oh, we can't do this. It's not going to work. Nice work, guys. You messed it up. Global commerce is dead for the next seven hours. You know, imagine what that does. You know, we haven't seen Visa or you know MasterCard go down 
But I remember, I think it was two or no, it was like four years ago now, maybe TSIS went down yep. for four days and didn't settle transactions. And we can all raise our eyebrows and go, wow, they have a lot of money in their bank account for four days. I wonder what they did with it. Right. Um, you know, yeah, I think that, you know, if, if Visa and MasterCard want to play a game, they absolutely could here. But yeah, right. with these other networks coming up, um, what if they go down? Because yeah, you see yeah. it in the crypto space all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah, that these things go down, and yeah, and yeah, I think that would that that is it a just, really it, good point. The, the truth is, I mean, as somebody that has a team of developers, I mean, it takes, I mean, decades of development work to think through the possible things that can go wrong and to make a really, really solid system with all the right safeguards. I mean, it's just really, it's, there's no way to plan and execute that. You just have to fail and then you fix the failure and then you fix that failure and then you fix the next failure. And then you start thinking about other failures you could have. And it's just a process. It just takes a long time. And, you know, while I agree that Visa MasterCard have a bit of a stranglehold and it would be nice if we could loosen that a bit, um, they've gotten pretty good at it, you know? So like, and you brought that up earlier, right? So that that's one. And the other concern is what we just talked about, which is the, just the, the slippery slope of regulation where I agree with you. And I think about even um, like Jerron Rice and, and, you know, others who in their state, like Jerron has a, a bills uh, that, that he put through that got passed through the Maryland um, house uh, about the early termination fees and, you know, limiting that in the state of Maryland. So it's like, I could, that's good. I like that. And I think there's some good things to do there. Uh, you know, if we start, if the com competition act becomes the anti-competition act and uh, here's the price fixing and all of that, to me, that's my concern long-term is that we slip towards that. So any other thoughts on uh, your side on implications for the ISO agent world and should we be doing anything as an industry to protect our interests? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, look, the good news is anyone listening to this podcast, they're doing what they should be doing. You've got your head on a swivel. This will create, if this passes, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't pass as the tack on to this, but he's going, I'm just going to tack it on to the next one. Right. And like I said, you know, this one it didn't make it through because nine other, hundred other amendments tried to cram through this little door. And, you know, right. I think this one's confusing, but there will be winners and losers here. And this will shake things up drastically. One, even like you said, people are looking all of a sudden. Think of where the, the money goes to startups when I go to a table and I go, hey, I got this network. Just I just need $100 million. And now by legislation, I get to compete with Visa and MasterCard. Sounds good. Go for it. The, you know, how this trickles down to the agents, you know, I've said it before, you might be able to go out and offer really lower pricing, you know, it could be another Wild West situation where also, you know, it might take a while for merchants to know they're used to paying three, four, five, six percent. What if your margin is five percent all of a sudden, you know, we're back to the mm -hmm. 2000s when you're you know, throwing a knuckle buster in somebody's shop. So, yeah. I think the big thing is, yeah, keep your head on a swivel, you know, keep listening to your podcast, keep reading about what's going on and see what your, you know, mind comes up with. You know, there's going to be opportunities here to make a lot of money for different companies. So, you know, yeah. I'm with you, regulation, 
you know, I go either way, but any change in this industry has proven time over time to be really good for the industry. Like yeah. really good. good. Point. For- yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, James, it's always such a pleasure to have you on. Um, before we jump off, I definitely want to um, get kind of give a quick plug for you. I mean, frankly, and I think you know this, anytime an agent ISO comes to me and says, we need an attorney, especially now that dual pricing, cash discounting, surcharging, all of that has created a lot of uncertainty as well. Invariably, I send them over to you. Um, and so uh, tell us how uh, our audience can reach out to you if they're in need of an attorney for a variety of things related to the industry. Um, how do they get in contact with you and learn more? Yeah, they can check out our website. It's globallegallawfirm.com or just email me direct, jhuber at attorneygl.com. And like I said, we love working with agents. You know, I see it as the lifeblood of this industry and something that does not go away. You know, for a couple of years, we thought we're going out, you know, the agents are done because you can square strike. No, 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 we're too nimble of a group. And uh, yeah, so... Yeah, I appreciate it, James. Thank you. Love it. Well, James, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate your insights and have a fantastic rest of your day. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.